Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uplift My Life Today, the podcast. Stories connect us, inspire us, and give us hope. Everyone has a story. We believe that stories of real people who have suffered adversities, breakups, and breakdowns, and rebuilt their lives are powerful reminders of what the human spirit is capable of. Whether you're just starting or in the midst of your own journey to rebuild your life, or supporting someone going through their challenges, stories show us what's possible. This is The Honest Hour. My name is Astuti Marto Sudirjo. And I'm Julie Growell. Together, we are holding the space for brave life warriors to share their journeys, their reflections and learnings. They show us that no matter where you are in life, however dark that place is, there is the option to rise up, that it's doable and worthwhile if we choose to. They show us another way. Living your life with more ease is possible. Our guest today is Adam. Adam is 41 years old and was born in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, a small city about an hour outside of Boston. He graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst with a BA in History and Philosophy. He since worked in sales, marketing, education, and tax. Adam has been living in Zurich since February 2013. And we're talking to Adam today about his journey to free himself from chronic shame, depression, and substance abuse. Welcome, Adam, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Now, Adam, can you maybe start off by telling us a little bit about your story and what happened? It really started as long as I can remember, I just didn't feel right. You know, there was just something, something wrong, something I, I couldn't put my fingers on. I, obviously, as a child, you don't really understand what's happening, but I knew something wasn't right. And over the years, a lot of that not understanding what's going on, not having consistency because you're constantly feeling down or, you know, you'll have these periods. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's not. Over time, you kind of you get into a, you get stuck, you get into a funk, you know, and then you develop different coping strategies and coping mechanisms and, and not being able to share, um, not having, finding that space as a child to share what's going on. You know, the, you just kind of keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. How old were you when you started to feel this? As long as I can remember, but for sure by middle school, you know, I noticed, and I mean, uh, you know, potentially even before that, mm -hmm. uh, but I noticed that there were periods of time that I, you know, that I would struggle and that I would, you know, have a hard time connecting and have a hard time keeping up the the energy needed to to live a consistent life and, and follow mm -hmm. through on things. So it impacted a lot of your, like, school and social life? Um, it, it For sure, it impacted school. I mean, I was, I was very lucky in one sense. I was in you know, fairly intelligent. So school, I was able to get by in the sense that I tested well and it was fairly easy for me, but I certainly didn't 
perform to my potential and I was I was very inconsistent and you know often didn't follow through on on different projects and I just I I used my intelligence to to get through um, luckily on the social front I was always a very social person in the sense mm-hmm. that I I sought connection um, however I could and I was blessed um, to have good friends throughout my life Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, and I think that's part of the problem was it seemed like everything was okay. Right. People don't realize that a lot of people have depressions is because they can function very well. They function well from the outside and they even shows a lot of achievements. And then you heard the story and you're like, what? I never experienced you this way. And I think this is similar to what you're saying, no? Sure. And, and I would imagine if um, some you know, people from my past, if they come across this podcast, you know, they'll be completely shocked at some yeah. of the things that they hear. And, and yeah. um, because, it, you know, from the outside, I was social. I had, you know, I had friends. I did well enough. You know, I was able to keep up enough of a facade that everything was okay. Yeah. Um, and underneath, it was just brewing. You know, there was just this under undercurrent of all of, you know, all of this. And then it just continued to increase, increase, increase. And by the time anyone would have been able to know that something might have been wrong, it was too late. I was already deep in it. And yeah. the only way out was, you know, a journey like I've had. Right. It was because it was probably a decade before anybody would have been able to start to see signs like, oh, something's, you know. Tell us a little bit about your family, Adam. Did they not notice this? Sure. I mean, obviously, as you know, things started to, especially when I started making decisions about you mm. know, going to college or, you know, and in high school, I would go out perhaps drinking a bit too much. Um, um, so there were certainly some, some signs, but as a child, I mean, I was, I was always playing sports. I was all, I always had friends. I did well enough in school. So you don't look for problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really. And you don't bring home yeah. Any exactly. problems. <laughs> and, and unfortunately for me, I kept it to myself. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to share. I wasn't able to ask for help. So not only was outwardly where there not wasn't there, there wasn't that much to see. I was also actively trying to keep things nobody would know. And that's probably part of the problem is that holding that in and not sharing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a a big part of the problem with me was that I had a a huge feeling of of guilt and shame um, Mm -hmm. personally. So, you know, I was I was very conscious of the fact of, you know, and I and I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there was something that, you know, and I didn't want to share that with anybody. I didn't Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. anyone to know. Um, I mean, for years and years and years, I mean, I kept journals with what I would give to be able to go back and read some of those things, but I would finish the journal and then I would throw it away because I didn't want anyone to ever find it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anyone to ever know, you know, what, what was going on and what was happening. So Mm -hmm. your deepest feelings were in there. Exactly. Oh yeah. Did you realize that you were different from other kids or when did you realize that not every Maybe that not every kid is going through this kind of experience. Well, well, it's very interesting because, I mean, I could, I always was a very empathetic person. And I was always somebody that was kind of like my parents and family, family would always call me an old soul, you know. 
Mm. I mean, I always hung out with the adults at the kitchen table and loved to hear the stories and, and hear about people's lives and everything. And um, so I guess one of the things is I, obviously I knew I was different in a sense, like I wasn't, you know, I knew there was something going on with me. But at the same time, I, I noticed issues in other people. And uh, the, my hometown where I come from um, is a, you know, it's a, a small city, but it has a lot of big city problems. Uh, there, it's an old mill community. A lot of the jobs went away. And, you know, so there's economic problems, different, you know, family problems. And then also, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of drugs where I come from. And, but, but, and that obviously trickles out throughout the community, you know, so growing up, there were a lot of kids that I grew up with that also had problems. So I knew that I had some issues, but there were also other people that in my life. And I also had a, um, an uncle that, that I was very close with and that was very close to my family. And he had, he struggled with depression and, you know, he's bipolar and everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that experience was also very impactful for me. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the bodhisattva in Buddhism. Um, I often say it's it's for for those of you who aren't into Buddhism um, or aware of much of Buddhism. It's similar to a guardian angel kind of concept. I mean, there's a it's a very complicated and there's a lot more to it, but that would probably be the closest analogy to a Western um, concept. And I often call him my my uncle Bob the bodhisattva. Uh, because I saw in him, so, I mean, obviously I didn't have quite the severe problems that he did. I saw in him a lot of that suffering and that despair and that feelings that I had. And I also noticed how people treated him. I noticed how it was different. Even sometimes people in my own family, you know, wonderful people and you know, to judge anybody. But, you know, I, I noticed that you, it could be a labeling mental illness was, you know, something that you could be labeled and judged. And, and so I think that also had a lot to do with me keeping things, you know, close to the vest, because I saw that experience um, that he had and how he struggled with his labeling, not only in society, but also within his um, treatment, you know, and the difficulties he had with the medication and everything. And it kind of led me to believe that I needed to go my own way. I needed to figure out a different way through this than go through that process, you know, but, and then one last thing about him that I think is important to note is I learned so, and this is why I think, you know, I so grateful for him in my life, even though he suffered, but his suffering certainly helped me a lot because I noticed no matter how much he suffered, he was always trying to help other people and especially the people who needed help the most. You know, he knew, he, he understood that, um, you know, that how important that was. So I think that experience with him had a huge part to do with how I chose to handle it, mm. you know, and how I related to it, because I had a mirror very close. How bad was it, Adam? The best way to paint a picture would be maybe to, to paint a picture of where it ended up in my worst, mm. po my worst point. Obviously, it starts off small and then over time, all of those coping mechanisms and all of those avoidance strategies and all of that, keeping things to yourself, keeping alone with it, it adds up. And around the time I was 30 years old, I mean, I, my life was a complete 
a complete mess. I mean, I weighed around 130 kilos, 280 pounds. You know, I had, you know, poor diet, poor hygiene, poor sleep hygiene. I, I either didn't sleep or would sleep too much or, or whatever. It was just totally chaotic. I was alone. <laughs> you know, I'm so lonely. I've had intimacy issues my whole life. So I had a, you know, I've never had a, a real girlfriend or partner or anything like that. I had pretty significant substance abuse issues, mostly alcohol and cocaine, but pretty much whatever could fill, fill the void. Just a, a, a desperation, a, a complete overwhelm and feeling that at any point, my whole world could fall down around me. I, and also just these deep dysfunctional psychological patterns and habits. When I read Dostoevsky, I mean, he, he's known for his deep psychological novels and characters. And then when I read him, I, I know what that is. You know, just this constant, like, needing connection. You know, so you desperately do things for that connection, but you do too much in a lot of cases. And then at some point you get resentful for that, but you're also grateful because you know that your special needs are being met somehow. You know, so you have this, and then all of a sudden you then start feeling guilty and ashamed that you were resentful or that you were frustrated with somebody else. And then you just have this like vicious cycle, you know, on repeat for 30 years. Over time, it just puts you in that place where you're literally um, overwhelmed and feeling hopeless. And the, the end result was a long period of suicidal ideation. Mm. And I remember in my late 20s, when I lived in Boston, I would go down to the subway tracks and I would just sit there and I would just watch the trains go by and just see, think to myself, you know, there it is. You know, so, so that's how bad it was. You know, that's, that's where it ended up after, after all those years. So we're glad you didn't, well, you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Looking back, uh, would you consider that you were addicted to giving help? Um, I was addicted to feeling, kind of addicted to connection, but addicted to feeling like I was worth something. Mm -hmm. to feeling yeah. like I was needed somehow yeah. because okay. I didn't feel that myself. Mm. Okay. I yeah. felt like I was, something was wrong with me and that was it. And that yeah. it was worthless. I mean, I, I obviously my name's Adam grew up in an Irish Catholic family, garden of Eden story. I'm caught, you know, like the whole, I mean, we're talking some deep psychological stuff there, guilt, shame and whatever. So all of that, I, I really, struggled to find meaning within myself. So I was constantly trying to manufacture it outside mm. without actually ever feeling it. But I think that's quite a common pattern, isn't it, for people? I think there's always that looking externally, um, looking outside for that for that validation or that approval or that, that sense of worth rather than realizing that it's an inner, often an inner journey. But for sure, definitely. Yeah. It's always in. It's always inside. And this is also interesting that there's this chronic shame that was also feeding the desire to be needed, because that's what drives a lot of what you're doing, if not everything. You know, the the that you did to cope with that, and different at different age or different age period, you do something 
slightly different or slightly deeper as you progress further. Your life when you were in the 30s, were you able to work? Yeah, I always was able to hold down a job and it wasn't um, it wasn't always pretty. Um, I definitely jumped um, from job to job sometimes. You know, sometimes I just wasn't able to to keep any kind of consistency. I mean, I would do very well for a while and there were certain things I always did well. When it came to personal interactions and working with people directly, I did well. But when it came to actually keeping things organized or, you know, or following through on certain tasks, you know, um, it, sometimes it would just fall apart. But I think because of that outward likability and that outward that I could deal with people, I was always able to somehow keep it together. But it was like I... I've often explained it to to people that I kind of felt like, and, and it really I felt like this until just recently, until just the last couple of years, is I felt like I was a hamster on a wheel, but that I was juggling like these bombs. And if I dropped any of the bombs, my whole life would just fall apart. You know, So it was this just, you know, constantly just somehow making it work, but with no real stability or no real... Um, sense of control over anything. Just listening to you now, I think it's not an understatement to say that you're a life warrior because you're still here. Because that kind of pressure, being in the hamster wheel, juggling, and if I drop any of the balls, my life is over. This is like an immense pressure. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, somehow I, I I was lucky. I was I had this these issues and I had this, um, you know, this helplessness, but at the same time, there was another part of me that was always moving. That was always seeking for something and searching for something. And for me, thank, thankfully I found solace often in, in literature and in music. And, you know, I was always, you know, reading so many different books and, and, and also going to concerts and trying to find these experiences and these, you know, and these deeper meanings from artists to try to find some kind of a, a foothold on life um, from people who had also suffered and had also, you know, and who had then found the space to share, you know, so because then I could see like, OK, they they understand. Nobody I knew understood quite what I was feeling, but I could, I could find other people who did. And so that then helped to drive me forward to say, well, if they found it, maybe I can too. Yeah. The, the, the typical sort of tortured artists and what they're going through. So Adam, when and how did you start to turn things around? Really, it's it started and it was the summer of 2010, just turned 30 that spring. And um, it was a very kind of a very tumultuous time in my life. My, I had a very close relationship with my grandparents and my grandfather died that summer. And at the same time that my grandfather died, I was also kind of starting to dabble into even more dangerous waters. I, you know, some of the people that I was hanging around with were, you know, dabbling in a lot of the, um, I'm sure you've heard of the opiate crisis in the U S and all of the prescription medication that that's, um, that's yeah. led to increased heroin addiction and whatever. Yeah. And I started to dabble with those things. I started to really, um, 
you know, start to edge closer and closer to a situation that would have been even if, if it's possible, you know, I guess it's always possible it'll be worse, but that would have just added another level uh, to an already terrible situation. So my grandfather passed away and shortly after that, there was a weekend, a special event, and I was with some friends and we, and we really partied way too hard. Um, and, you know, it was involving, you know, cocaine, opiates, loads of alcohol and other things. But in, for some reason, I woke up for work on the Monday morning after that weekend. And I and I usually never looked in the mirror. You know, like I, I usually it was just I would just get ready, go, whatever, like because it was too painful. But for some reason that morning, I looked in the mirror and, you know, I guess for whatever reason, I, I, I saw something worth saving looking back at me. And I don't know how. I don't know what, how it was possible. You know, may it, and I imagine it might have had something to do with losing my grandfather. And maybe that, maybe that experience and, and realization that, you know, we only have so much time here. Um, I was able to make the decision to quit substances cold turkey. You know, I was I was very lucky to have an understanding boss. I was able to get some time off, and I just hunkered down and, and somehow did it. And like I said I don't really know how I did. I look back now. I used to look back and think of that person, whoever that was. You know, I I, I can't even fathom who that was anymore. I used to look back with pity or with kind of like oh this that whatever. But when I look back now, I, I realize what incredible courage that person had. Um, and I, I think often we think of, you know, ourselves at those weaker points of, of our life as weak. But when you're there and you start to make those hard decisions, you, that, that's real courage. Like right now, whatever I'm doing, sure, it still takes courage to do things, but I'm in a much better place. So yeah. any good decision I make now is a totally different thing from, from you know, what happened then. So, so that was really the start of it was the summer of 2010. You know, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I just knew if I didn't do something, I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably not in the too distant future. You made a choice then. Yeah. 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 This is always fascinating to me. I think Julia and I discussed this this morning. There are two voices in you or in all of us. One is what you were describing as I'm always looking for something either through books or through music when the other one was like, maybe this is me because I couldn't explain to myself what, what happened to me. Why am I behaving or experiencing what I'm experiencing? And then in this moment, you choose this, the path of there has to be a different way to this. That life shouldn't be like what I've, been feeling or experiencing up to then? I, I guess I always somehow knew there was something more, but couldn't find the space to allow that to happen somehow. And, and that was the moment. That was mm-hmm. the moment that I decided to allow life in rather than push it away. Yeah. And I think it often, we sort of need to get to rock bottom, isn't it? To be able to then say, okay, not not in every case, but I think in most situations, you know, for a lot of people, it's really hitting that absolute kind of bottom and then saying, okay, there must be a different way. And until that happens, it's, you know, you, you keep sort of running in that, in that wheel, that hamster wheel. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. And as I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, where I'm from, you know, it was a lot of a lot of issues in the town I came from. And I know a lot of people that, you know, have either weren't able to stop before hitting beyond rock bottom, unfortunately. Um, we've lost some some friends, too many. Uh, but then there's a lot of people that I know that did have to reach their rock bottom and they've also made the road back. And I'm very proud of all of them. And 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 I'm very grateful for that sense that I, you know, I had a lot of fantastic relationships with people throughout my life. And in that that community, obviously, there were some issues and some things that maybe made some of my problems worse. But also I learned the skill of friendship. I learned how to do that. And that has been something that has, you know, stayed with me, you know, for my whole life and it has, and has really enriched my life and also made this journey possible was that somehow finding connection, even though I was struggling to, to find it within myself. Yeah. So, it, so with, with people, there's always that finding that bottom, but then also hopefully finding, finding the way back. What did you do then? Um, really, at first, it was just, I need to stop doing that. It was really, at first, it was more of a subtraction than an addition. It was, I needed to get sober. I needed to get my mind clear. You know, I, I exercised heavily at that point. I, I was, very, as I said, I was like 130 kilos. I was too, you know, I went to the doctor after I decided to quit everything. Pre-diabetes you know, fatty liver, like all, you know, wasn't in good shape at all. So I went to the gym (laughs) and I just lifted weights and I tried to just keep my head clean. And, you know, and that was, that was really the first couple of years. And then I had the opportunity to come here. A dear friend of mine um, had an opportunity for me to come here. I had worked in tax before in the U.S., um, and he started a tax company here and he, he needed some help. And because I had cleaned my life up, he was, you know, obviously this opportunity would have never happened if I was still a mess. I mean, there's no way that I would have been able to come here to Switzerland. And I just, I decided to come because I thought, you know, maybe this is what I need. Maybe this is, you know, a new, a new thing. And uh, I mean, I got myself clean. I was a bit healthier, you know, maybe I can um, find what I'm looking for somewhere else. Uh, but I realized real quick that just being sober, although that's a, an amazing help, just being sober isn't enough. You have to find what you're looking for, really, to be mm-hmm. able to maintain something going forward. And what happened here is I just replaced all of the substances at first with, with being a workaholic. I mean, I just mm-hmm. worked all the time and I dumped myself into that. And then eventually I completely collapsed. I had a a really terrible burnout in Mm -hmm. the spring of 2014. Mm -hmm. And although I didn't have substance abuse issues at the time, it was by far the most, the deepest depression that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and how it ended really was I, I just, I was here for a couple of years, just working a lot. Then at one point things started to spiral. I, just didn't show up to work for like three or four days. Mm. My, you know, my friend, he had to come and, and to my apartment. Luckily, he had a key. I guess, I mean, I, I don't know how many days I had been in there without moving, but it was mm. just in the darkness. And I was just, you know, and it was after that, even though the summer of 2010 was for sure a huge moment, it was really after that burnout 
that I decided you need to find something bigger than what you've been living. So, but it's interesting, is that you repeat the pattern of you know you replace one form of addiction with another. Yeah. For sure, because mm-hmm. really, when you're filling a hole, yeah, you still need to fill the hole. Yeah, the hole is still yeah. there. Yeah. So, so it's really about healing for real healing. There's a, I don't know if you know Gabor Mate. He's a, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. reading some of his stuff about addiction and, you know, and, 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 and very often, and it's wonderful, a lot of the, the things that people do to try to help people with addiction. Um, but very often they focus on the, the addiction itself or the substance or just yeah. getting sober. And that's beautiful and it's great. And obviously it's better living sober than living adult all the time. But really it's the pain. And if you Mm -hmm. don't heal that pain, then you're always at risk. Whether it's another, whether you choose to do another addiction or whether you stay sober for five or 10 years and then something bad happens and you fall back, or you're just going to find something else to replace it. And that's what I found was Mm -hmm. sure. I got, I was able to escape one thing, but my life wasn't really going to get better until I started to really heal. And then, I mean, after the burnout, where, where it really started for me was when I found meditation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that happened. Nobody in my life was a meditator. For the most part, I didn't have a whole lot of experience or, 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 um, or exposure to that type of thing. And for some reason, I, I, I took it up and stuck with it somehow. And it was really difficult at first because... I was living in, I mean, my apartments, I never had anybody over my apartments. They were just these barren, awful places, you know, just piles of clothes everywhere and boxes for moving in. I would, you know, from years, years ago. So I would sit there in this place that was just awful for me, you know, day after day after day after day. And it was really the first six months were just brutal. Because you just hear these thoughts are going through and you're just trying to be, you're trying to sit there with them. But but it's actually very, very beautiful, I think, how I stayed with it because I lived on the river, on the Limat go, that goes through Zurich. And so, and it was the springtime when this all started, spring, summer. So I would sit there in the mornings and the one thing that kept me coming back, the one thing that kept me um saying, okay, yeah, go do it, was I loved hearing the birds Mm. that were on the river outside Mm -hmm. my, you know, and now when I think back on it, I'm like, you know, if it wasn't for those birds, I might not have stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And then who knows what would have happened. Mm -hmm. So now it's like everywhere I go and I hear birds, I'm super grateful because I, you know, because I know that that was kind of like, it was like a call from from beyond somewhere. Keep coming back, keep coming back. So that was the start for me was, was really meditation. Mm-hmm. For the, of the real healing, because I was able to all of those psychological patterns that I talked about earlier, I was able to at least observe them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't them anymore. Mm-hmm. They still ran my life. They were still something that I was that I was caught up in. Mm-hmm. But I could separate myself and see them for what they were for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge, huge game changer. You're not those patterns. It's just a pattern, but I'm beyond the, I'm bigger than the pattern. Sure. Did you do anything else apart from meditation? 
loads of things because once once I started meditating and I started getting it, dipping my toes into, you know, and I saw some effect, I saw some benefit, I got curious and I was always looking for something. So that was the first time that I found something that really started to show me like, okay, there's there's something here that you can do to change your state of mind, to change your reality, you know, somehow tackle a few things um, that were perhaps the most important or, or very helpful. And I think one of them that might be very interesting to, to highlight because it's kind of a, an emerging popular theme in the culture now is um, psychedelics. I had done them before because I had pretty much done everything <laughs> before um, while I was filling the hole. And I had some very positive experiences in high school and college but I didn't do them at that time for anything other than other than just fun or escape. So, and after meditating, I started getting into different um, things. I read um, one book that was very impactful on, on me getting into that was um, Sam Harris's waking up with him. Um, I, on a pot, on some podcasts from like Tim Ferriss, for example, he, he does a lot of work with that. And he, you know, he, he was highlighting a lot of the new research that's coming out. So I got curious and I started to to experiment with um, with many of those compounds. And why they were so impactful for me was that it showed me, even if only for an hour or two, that it was possible for me to have a different experience, like a, a really different experience and see the world differently and see it from a different perspective and have a different state of mind. And for somebody who lives with depression for 30 years, that was hugely impactful, you know, whether or not all this stuff is, I mean, who knows what's happening there? I don't really care about that. And that was what, that was the power for me. And I'll give one, just one example of an experience that had an absolutely fundamental, I mean, it changed, it changed so much of my life experience. There's one compound. Um, it's one of the most powerful as humans. It's called DMT. Um, it's the it's the active ingredient in the famous ayahuasca, the jungle mm. brew. This was a different kind. It was this, you know, more concentrated. You spoke it. I mean, it's just you can't even explain what what happens. It's it, words just completely don't do any justice. It lasted 15 minutes of clock time, but I felt like I was in there for lifetimes. Um, it completely fundamentally altered my perception of time my experience of time, what time is the really, the only thing that really matters is what happened at the afterwards, what I took from it. And there was a period where I was, I felt like I was being pushed towards something and that I was, you know, I felt like I was dying. And for whatever reason, it forced me to say goodbye to everything that I love. Mm -hmm. And then I thought I had died. Like I literally didn't think of, you know, like I just, that was it. And when I came out of it, I realized that I had a lot to live for. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't only the, the because obviously getting into meditation, I had the concept of gratitude. Mm -hmm. That was an experience of gratitude. Coming out of that experience and realizing I was still here. After having that experience of feeling like I wasn't still here. Since that experience, I haven't had any more suicidal thoughts, mm. even though it took me a couple more years to figure out 
the end of my way. It wasn't a panacea. It didn't solve all of my problems, but it was incredibly impactful. Actual felt experience deep down of what gratitude really means. You know, it's one thing to sit there when I was on the subway tracks in Boston and think about, I was fixated on all of the problems I had. Mm. Where that, I was then fixated on all the good things. Mm. So it shift some, shifted something in me that mm. I then had a different perspective um, to challenge the other one. And one last thing I would like to say about psychedelics, just because it is such a popular topic, is it's not a toy. And I think people should be very careful if you do decide that it's something you want to look into, the research seems promising that it can be very helpful for people with various things, addiction, depression, anxiety, whatever. I can also tell you that I had powerful experiences that were incredibly helpful for me, but I've also had very challenging ones. Mm. Now I'm a bit of an extreme person. I'm a bit, I, I, I've been a bit reckless on my path at times. And I do think that, I mean, just for example, that experience I was just telling you about, it took me like six months to process that thing. Mm -hmm. It was so powerful. I didn't have support. I didn't have anybody. I wasn't working with a therapist. I wasn't working, you know, it was just me seeking and it was challenging. Now, luckily, because of my history of challenging psychological experiences and whatever, I was able to find my way through and make it work. Um, but before anybody who hears this runs out to the dark web and, and decides they want to you know, go on a journey, I would recommend that you really take the time to look into it. They can be powerful tools. Um, you're going to hear about them in the press. Um, and I think that they're, they can be incredibly valuable if used in the right way with, with the proper humility and with the proper um, respect of, of what they are and what they, what they can do. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I know people who've used it and also maybe without the proper supervision and uh, or, you know, the right sort of guidance or without the right doing a huge amount of research into it as well and hasn't necessarily wasn't a good experience. So I think it's important that people are being quite cautious and making sure that they have the support they, they need. When I did my retreat with Gabor Mate about trauma, he did mention that there are licensed therapists that actually facilitate this. But there are licensed people who, who actually integrate psychedelics into their practice. And this probably would be the, the safer place to go. So you've gone through this life change experience with with the DMT and, and that sort of cleared your suicidal thoughts, but it still took a couple of years before you were finally able to really get to the bottom of things. The, the, the beautiful thing though, is as I started going down this path, I had, yeah. you know, started meditation, psychedelics, I started dabbling in yoga, reading all kinds of different things. You know, you start following the threads and as things are combined together, they become more powerful. I think one mistake that a lot of people make is they say, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to try this. And they just do one thing and they see if it might work or might not work. And then if it doesn't work, they abandon it and they just go to the next thing. And then there's kind of playing whack-a-mole instead of really doing like a full comprehensive look at what are all of the tools that are available to help me. You know, like with me, it was meditation. I started journal. I mean, I was always journaling, but my journaling changed. 
it went from just pouring out my thoughts to actually journeying about changes and habits and, and other things. Periodic psychedelic journeys, um, you know, starting to to get into things like yoga and other other different modalities. Really, things started to pick up steam. Things were moving inside of me. And then probably the next major milestone on the on the way was in the fall of 2018, I went on a, my first yoga retreat. But to have that experience of a week-long retreat where I was just there with my body, you know, especially having, I was dissociated most of my life. I was living in my thoughts. I mean, my body was a whole nother world that I had, that I knew nothing about. And there was one day in specific where we did each day, there was a different theme. And one day there was the hips and we just did hip openings all day long. And when I got back to my room that night, I just cried for like three hours. I just, there was just stuff pouring out of me that had been stuck for so long. And that was, that was really impactful. And then what happened after that in the coming months, for the first time in my life, I started to get vulnerable. And I did think this is a massive, massive, massive thing that I, that I think everybody listening um, and anybody who might have some issues in their life or even people that are trying to support somebody else in their own, you know, in, in their journey, but is that vulnerability is so important. I used to think that my problem were mine and I had solved them. It was after that experience at the yoga retreat, being with 16 people who were there to, to try to grow and heal and being in that kind of condensed environment and moving the energy and feel it. I started to feel like, wow, this is, you know, there's something here that I can, you know, and I can get support from other people. I can, you know, cause before it was always solo. I was on the mat, on the mat at home, I mean, on the cushion at home meditating, or I would have my psychedelic journey, or I would journal, or I would do, it was always solo. And that experience brought me into a community of people that were trying to, to heal, and that was so important. So vulnerability, and, and then really what cracked everything open for me and really started things moving was a few months after that experience at the yoga retreat, I went on a trip with my parents at Christmas time to Italy. And my goal for the trip was to start talking with them about my experience start sharing with them things that I wasn't able to share. I mean, I, they didn't know so much of what happened in my life and I wasn't able to do it mm-hmm. when the trip, they, you know, we had a great trip, beautiful trip. And when they left, I hadn't been able to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that night I went over to my friend's house and, and I was just crying I just, I kind of fell apart and his little daughter, you know, she's one, she was at the time one years old and she just, she came over to me and she just put her hand on my knee and gave me the sweetest look. And it was just the most compassionate thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to figure a way out to do this. What I did was I wrote my parents a letter. Mm-hmm. I sat down and wrote them like this eight, nine page letter. And it was like 30 years of psychotherapy. And I, I wasn't able to tell them everything, um, but I was able to, to at least start the conversation. And that, that vulnerability is what started to unravel everything. I was mm-hmm. finally ready to involve others in the process. So, and that was, it was so huge. Were you able to identify the root causes of this suffering? Um, yes. Um, and I guess that's a, 
a perfect lead into the next one. And one one thing I would love to um, express my sincere gratitude for to you, Astuti, because um, you played a, a, a huge role in this. Um, like I could never possibly thank you enough. It's you know just incredible. But what happened was at that point I started to try different things, really try anything. And the summer before that happened, I was at a, a conference, a Mind Valley conference in Estonia, and I had an experience uh, there. And I didn't, and to be honest, I didn't want to go to the conference because, as I said, I was always kind of a solo person. I didn't really seek community. I didn't really seek support in that sense. But my buddy was like, "No, you're going to come." Let's see. And I went to a seminar by Marissa Peer, hypnosis method you've studied and. And I had a very interesting experience in this. I mean, she just did this general 10 minute, you know, group hypnosis, but it was impactful enough for me that I said, ah, you know, let's see. And then after that, you know, writing to my parents and and started, I really felt like, okay, I need to now move. I I feel things are moving in me. So I need to do, do more. So I started doing all different kinds of things, sound healing and, you know, various massages, whatever, to try to move the energy. And another thing that I did was I looked up Marissa Pierre, I looked up her method and I was like, oh, is there anybody around? Where can I go to, to do this? And then lo and behold, you're in Zurich. So it was perfect. Yes. Um, so I signed up for a session and yeah, it was just the most incredible um, thing. So I didn't really know what to expect. Obviously, I had some, given my background and my skepticism and pessimism, whatever, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I'll try it because I'll try, you know, I'm open-minded enough to try anything. But I wasn't really expecting all that much. And then what happened was just incredible. And I I guess I need to do a little backstory here. When I was probably about six years old, there was a, a man, I mean, he was probably either late teens, early 20s. But he had some, you know, mental handicaps. He was, you know, he he had some issues, um, and his family also had some issues. I mean, he would, so he would kind of like roam the neighborhood or whatever. And we we at that time, this is 1985, 1986. It wasn't, you know, we we were more free flowing through the neighborhood and just having fun and playing in the park and, and in the woods and in the forest. It wasn't so much the helicopter parenting and everything that we have now. Um, so all the kids, we would just play. We would just be out all day. And at some point, and for a certain period of time, I don't remember all of the details perfectly, but um, this guy would take me back to his mom's house and, and he, he would play these sexual games with me, you know, sexual abuse. Um, I knew about this before, previously in my life. I, had, I would think about it sometimes, but I never, because of his situation and we used to play and whatever, maybe at that time I never felt like a victim so to speak. Um, so maybe I just never put two and two together. Um, and I just kind of was like, oh, okay, that, that happened, but whatever. But what happened after that was I then started to play these games that I learned from him with other kids in the neighborhood. And then at one point along the way, we got caught playing these games and then there was a bit to do between, you know, so obviously some of the parents were either frustrated or upset or scared or whatever the whatever the reasons. Um, and that kind of leads to what happened 
when I when I was at when I went into the hypnosis. So you know, Astuti guided me down through the process, and as soon as she you know whatever the counted to five or whatever it was to trigger it, I felt like I was at my parents' kitchen table. It was literally like a the most bizarre, crazy thing that I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, maybe the DMT, one of the two. <laughs> they were both pretty crazy. Um, I mean, obviously, the abuse affected me in other ways. I mean, I've, I've always had different awkwardnesses with intimacy and, you know, and I've had trouble with intimate relationships and all of that. Um, and I'm sure some of the physical trauma mm-hmm. things that I'm working through um, are were affected by that as well. But what it was, was the, for whatever reason at that time, I wasn't able to explain, I wasn't able to express myself as to where I learned these things. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to express what it was. So when it came like, oh, it was Adam who showed us these games, you know, then as I was being kind of like told what you were, you know, you can't do this anymore. It was, you know, whatever. I don't remember exactly what the details were in terms of, I mean, I don't think I was like in any major trouble, but for, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, Hey, you can't do this. And, you know, you got to stop. I had taken it in that moment as a six-year-old or whatever, I took it as there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And in that moment of the hypnosis, I could feel the frustration and the fear and the, and the confusion and the anger, I could feel all of them. And as soon as I like connected that and realized like, my God, you know, like nobody wanted what happened, you know, what happened with me. I mean, my parents are the most wonderful people in the world and the, and the other neighbor parents involved are great people. No, you know, as soon as I was able to connect that, it was almost like, like something just I mean, I don't know what it's like to give birth, but when they say, oh, my water broke or something, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it was just this complete discharge of Mm -hmm. something very deep inside of me. And I mean, my life has been completely different since. I mean, I've still had work to do, but that work is still ongoing because you have years of nervous system imbalances Mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. But in the end, my fixation on what was wrong was really an illusion. It was a, it was, it was just a misunderstanding. It, and it, once I was able to see that in that moment, it was just, it was the most incredible thing. It wasn't so much the, the abuse, if you want to call it, but the, the telling off from the parents that, you know, that, that shame and that the fear and the anger that, was the root of kind of all the issues or the depression? I, I mean, that's the only thing I can, I can um, gather was that, that yeah. sense of confusion, that sense yeah. of I, I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me. I did yeah. something wrong. Wrong, yeah. Without understanding it, without, yeah. without really, you know. Sure, you and, were six years old, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and exactly. So, and it was, yeah, so it was just that confusion, that lack mm. of. And and because I wasn't able to then going forward express myself, yeah, I just I I took it all and ran with it in yeah. the completely wrong direction, but yeah. completely unknown. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know this. I yeah. just I had no idea why yeah. I was depressed. I had no yeah. idea why I had all these issues. Yeah, 
And that's why in that moment, it was just such a, it was such a shocking release, such a shocking like. Yeah. And obviously not intentional on the part of the parents to call the drug, but the implications or the consequences um, of what was said at the table, you know, reverberated through your whole life, basically. And that's the thing about, about life is that, you know, it's, it's so, I mean, it's so precious. It's so Mm -hmm. so tenuous and, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but that's just something we have to deal with. Yeah. 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 What we choose to deal with, what we choose to do with the cards we're dealt. Yeah. Because nobody, like I said, nobody would have ever wanted that. No, absolutely. At all. Like on the contrary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you managed to let go of that that experience, and maybe what your what is your life like now? How has that experience, you know, changed things for you? Well, it opened up space. Mm. Then I can start, you know. And now I realized um, shortly after that that I had a lot of other work to do with trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and to work through all of that. Um, so the last set like nine months or so I've been doing a a pretty intensive somatic trauma therapy which has been absolutely life-changing it's just a beautiful process um, to learn how to to engage with your body to learn how to engage with with your emotions and your feelings I mean it's just it's incredible because I never did before I never had any connection to it I was completely living in my thoughts completely in my head um, so this is this experience of over the last period has just been really beautiful and it's in it, but it's a process for the first couple months after that hypno- hypnosis experience. I thought I was enlightened. I mean, it was crazy. I was walking around floating as though there wasn't a single problem left in the world to solve. And, you know, everything was great. Uh, but I think that was just because it was such an overwhelming shift but then eventually I, I came back down to earth and realized, you know what, you're still living the life of a depressed person. Mm-hmm. You have 30 years of habit energy behind you. Mm-hmm. You have your nervous system is still jacked up like, a, you know, sure, you had this understanding that resolved some psychological issue, but your nervous system is still functioning as, you know, and if anyone knows anything about it, uh, I actually read a, a beautiful book which was very helpful for me. It's uh, from Bessel van der Kolk. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Highly recommend it to anybody who's struggling with um, with trauma or, or, or you know other issues in their life because it just shows how integral the mind-body connection is and how very important. And like before, for example, with meditation, I was, I kind of look at what my meditation was before the hypnosis was more of a traffic cop. I was able to, see the thoughts coming and see the patterns coming. And I was able to somehow manage them a bit better. Where now after having done this trauma work, I see myself as kind of like the city planner. I can kind of look at a higher level and I can see where things develop and how they come and what I can do to make it better. So like it's a much higher level of, of meditative practice and aware self-awareness because I'm not only now aware of my thoughts, I'm aware of my body. I'm aware, I mean, I'm aware of that whole process. So that's really what my life has become now. I'm still working to find my way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like everything just went away. I have my good days. I have, I have my days where it's a bit frustrated, but at the same time, it's not the same thing. 
you know, it's a, it's a whole different life experience Mm -hmm. Um, because now I know that I can do something about it, Mm. you know, and I, and I'm empowered, Mm. you know, where before I was a bit less certain that I was empowered, I was still trying and I was still seeking and I was still working, but because I didn't understand so much and I didn't know where things were coming from, I kind of felt like, ah, am I ever going to find my way? Mm. But once I knew okay, here we go. You know, it, it gave me a lot more hope um, and a lot more, yeah, just just empowerment to say, mm-hmm. let's, let's do this. In my mind, you are on your path. It's just that different parts of the path give you something else to open up more doors within yourself. So it's a lifelong journey, I, I would say. But it's amazing how far you've come, Adam. Yeah, thank you. It is. It's it's incredible, but it's also wouldn't have been possible without all the support from friends and my parents, people like you, you know, along the way that have helped. I used to tell my mom when she used to worry about me sometimes when I would travel or I would because I was always doing something crazy, you know. I was always kind of seeking going to concert festivals or road trips or whatever, and she'd be worried. She and I said, "Don't worry, mom. I'm never lost. I'm just finding a new way to get somewhere." Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting how even then, I guess I kind of knew mm-hmm. that. Exactly. You knew. You always okay. knew. Okay. Just on a, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll find it somehow. Yeah. And I think we all can. What have you learned from all of these challenges? I've learned that engagement with my life is much more important than my beliefs or what I think about life or what I believe about life, but actually like engaging with it and, and, and actually moving with it. Um, I used to be somebody who clung to my beliefs and, Oh, like, this is what I think about something, or this is what I, you know, this is what I believe about something. And my identity was tied up in my beliefs rather than actually how I lived my life and actually what I was doing. So I think that's that was something that was very important, um, you know, just having that open mindedness to try things and to experiment, you know, and not be so fixated on thinking about whether I was right or wrong or or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, just being a bit more fluid, being a bit more engaged, mm-hmm. being interested mm-hmm. in life. Um, another big one is is the concept of equanimity. Um, like I said, after the hypnosis, I thought my God, this is great. Everything's perfect. And I had this beautiful experience for a couple months. You know, it was really just a gift. And then afterwards, coming back to earth, I kind of got frustrated again. And I kind of thought, you know, what's this? This is, this is a a raw deal. You know, like you give me that and now I got to come back to dealing with all this other stuff, you know, but over time I've really learned that life is about being with what is, Life is going to always come at us. We're going to have our good moments, our bad moments, our great periods and our down periods. Every one of us is going to get sick. Every one of us is going to lose everything that we love. Mm -hmm. We're going to lose it all at some point. Being with that as it is and finding the good in whatever it is, 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 you know, having that equanimity to ride those waves and, and just be there has been another important thing. And I guess the last the, perhaps the most important thing is just really having an understanding from a bigger picture level. I mean, I was so fixated for so long on all that was wrong with myself, or that was all that was wrong with how I perceived the world to be, 
or wrong with, you know, what other people were doing or believing or whatever. Like it was always just this fixation on negativity. But really, I mean, we think about it. We know nothing. We don't know enough to be pessimistic. We don't know enough. I mean, the universe is just crazy thing. It's been expanding as far as we know and as far as we can see for 14 billion years. And for whatever reason, it's landed at this moment that we're talking here. And to just really try to understand, you know, rather than being so fixated on knowing or, or judging or, or whatever, but really just looking to say, okay, okay, what is this, what is this moment? What can I do either to help or, or to understand? Or um, That's been very freeing. Now, I still fall back in the old patterns, of course. I'm, I'm not the Buddha. But just to know that that's there and to keep remembering that, to keep coming back to it. Um, I had a, a really beautiful experience recently. I was, you know, I've been doing a lot of personal work and I was a bit frustrated. Um, and then I, and I'd been in Switzerland for 18 months because of the coronavirus. And then I, my first trip out of Switzerland, I got on the plane and I was a bit wound up. I was a bit stressed. I mean, it's, everything's okay, but I was still kind of like a bit frustrated with certain progress areas or whatever. And as soon as that plane took off the ground, I saw, I was on the window seat and I saw everything below me. I saw all the little towns and I saw the, the rivers and lakes and mountains. And, and I just thought, you know, every one of those little towns has a hundred different stories. And, you know, all the trees are growing, all the lakes are there. The mountains have been there for millions of years. And I just thought to myself, like, my God, you know, just take a, take a breath, relax. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. Yes. You know? so, so to have that understanding, which would have been impossible for me to have five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been really healing and, and fantastic. Yeah, and that's that's beautiful and particularly appropriate in the current times, actually, mm. what we've been going through. You know, my story, everybody's story is different. Everybody journeyed different. Mm. So what worked for me might not work for somebody else and everybody's going to have to find their own way. But if my story can help even one person, even if it only helps them find their peace one day sooner than they would have happened before, then it would be worth it. The thing about vulnerability is it's a skill. I used to think that I couldn't do it. And I know a lot of people in my life who I've spoken to says, oh, I just can't do that. It's just not me. But it's not true. It's a skill. You start small and you learn. And then over time, you're able to open up a bit more and share a bit more. You are living what you what you choose to do is being engaged with life rather than Absolutely. hanging on to the belief. So well done. Yes. And, and, and I was just going to say people, I think people think they can't do it because it's scary. I mean, I love reading Jung, a lot of things from Jung, um, the psychologist from last century. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love when he talks about fear. That's where your work is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you're afraid of. That's what you've got to go, go after. There's one thing, you know, they can take away from your story. What would you like that to be? I would like to address the people who have somebody in their own life who they love and they're worried about. First, I would like to just acknowledge my parents because I didn't allow them to help me, you know, and, and there might be a lot of people listening that say, you know what, I try or I, I, I'm worried, or I'm concerned, but I don't know what to do because they won't open up. And they won't, they won't address, they won't acknowledge what's happening. Um, and that's what I didn't do for so long. I mean, that's changed and it's changing um, and it's a beautiful thing and I'm so grateful, but, but really in that case, 
you know, my parents did what they could and it was perfect. They just loved me. They had patience and they tried to understand me. And I think there's no greater act of love than, than trying to understand another person for who they are in, 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 in the moment that they are. And they were just always there for me. And I'm just so grateful for them both. And, you know, I love them very much. And I, and I am so grateful that we found this new space that we can now share and we can now, you know, grow and heal together. You can't save anybody. Nobody can save anybody. That person has to find the, the space to save themselves, but you can still be there and you can still support. As far as other people who are engaged, who are aware of the other people that are suffering, I try not to judge or give like fantastical answers like, oh, go, go relive, eat, pray, love or something. And, you know, like that's or, or tell them what you would do, because that can be very frustrating for the person who is struggling. I'd like to give an example of, of what was super impactful for me. And I have two absolutely beautiful friendships um, that, you know, and especially over these last seven years. And I think they're two perfect role models in case they're listening. Uh, Ryan and Paula, you know, so grateful. Love you both so much. And um, what they did was they chose to see the person they knew I could be. They didn't judge me. They would push me. They would challenge me. They, they chose to grow and heal with me. They would say, hey, I think it would be helpful for you if, you, if your appearance, you know, if you took a bit better care, you know, let's go shopping together. You know, my friend Paola came over one day and cleaned my apartment set it up for me. And I, for the first time since I was a kid, I probably had a room that was set up with posters on the wall and stuff. But for the first time I came home to a, a, a room or my friend Ryan getting me motivated to go to the gym every day or, or uh, trying new things with me. And over time, as we started sharing and growing together, it also improved their lives. And now we just have this community where, where people are sharing with each other where they're growing together, where they're vulnerable together. And it was something that five or six years ago, that was it, it, like, it's unbelievable, the, the difference, because healing happens in relationship. Pain is pain. We all have it at one level or another, but it's when you're, pain, when you're in pain and you feel like you're alone, that's what hurts. They, they gave me the space and the relationship to do the work, finally. We're, we're social beings. We're, we're connected with this universe, whether we, whether we feel that all the time or not. Being there for somebody in relationship and being there, engaging with them, it's going to enrich your life too. As far as for the people who are struggling and suffering themselves, the main thing to understand is that it's a process. You're not going to wake up one day and everything's going to be okay. And, it's, and you're just going to step forward into a new reality. Acknowledge that it's a process. For me, the three areas that I would focus on the most, practice gratitude. Find anything in your life to start looking at that you're grateful for and that you're thankful for. Because so often when we're stuck and when we're depressed or we're addicted or we're whatever, insert the, we're fixated on what's wrong with our lives or what's wrong with the world. And just giving yourself an alternative 
by saying, oh, that's a beautiful sunset. Or, oh, that was so nice that, that person did that for me. Whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Whether you write it down, whether you just think it, whether you share it with somebody, you know, whatever. Start that process. Vulnerability. Get started. It's hard. But the sooner you get vulnerable, the sooner all things will start to mm-hmm. unwind and fall apart. And it's brutal. And I get it. But it's worth it. And then your habits. Depression in, in, in addiction and all of that, in many ways, it's a way of life. It's a, it's an, it's a movement. It's an action. Mm. When you're depressed or when you're addicted, you're doing it every day. You're living it, your body language, your everything, the, the language that you use, everything is, is just this habit energy that's rolling forward. So by focusing even on the smallest habit, you know, even if it's at the beginning, you know, getting up at the same time every day and going out and getting some sun in the morning, even if that's the, all you can manage right now, start a habit and then try to keep building better and better habits. And eventually your life's going to get better. And it's kind of this cycle. Like if I would say, you know, gratitude, practice gratitude, cultivate your skill of vulnerability, develop better habits. You can't help but have a better life in time. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I guess it, just to, to close, like forgive yourself, be grateful, work hard, keep going, and you're not alone. And it's worth it. I, I guarantee you it's worth it. I can't tell you it's going to be easy, but it's worth it. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for sharing all these amazing reflections, very deep reflections. I'm touched. I can see Julie's being so touched <laughs> and getting a bit, we're getting a bit emotional yes. in a good way because the, a lot of the things that you said were touching our hearts very profoundly, our souls. When I think back on my life, it's it's really... I often have to pinch myself and say, my God, how the heck am I here? (laughs) That's it. That's it. This is why I said it's not an understatement that we, we think of you as a life warrior. And I think oftentimes for people who are still in the path or being in the depth of the, the walking in your own path, they forgot to see this. And uh, it's probably our role as a, our, as the host and also when I'm facilitating this in others is to start talking about it this way so people can start to see themselves a bit differently as they walk through because it changed the tone of the things you said to yourself and that is, as you say, the most helpful. Thank you, Adam. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity and for what you're doing and for being you both. You're most welcome. So on that note, please share this with anyone you think would gain some insights. We hope that this conversation touched you in the way that is magical and profound, that it ignite the hope in all of your hearts. From Zurich, Adam, myself and Julie, we're saying goodbye to you and hopefully we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.